I loved that comment that you sent me when or sent me when you were first watching Heather's and you were like the scariest thing about this movie so far is the fashion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it truly was. It was uh, the 80s had like a real fascination with like a ton of like a ton of synthetics and then like massive shoulder pads. So <laughs> Oh my god, yes. They all looked like football players with their fucking shoulder pads. It was amazing. <laughs> it was, you knew it was going to get bloody because, like, they were all primed for violence in the beginning. Like, it looked like they were designed to be sh <laughs> throwing shoulder checks in the hallways and shit. Yes, exactly. And, like, these powerful blazers. I was like, <laughs> yes, girl, work it, work that blazer. I was certain they were setting up games of, like, full contact croquet at one point. Ooh, see, they do play strip croquet, which is, like, close enough. That's true. That became full contact. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jake. Yes. <laughs> so dramatic. Whatever. I just I'm in a I'm in a bad mood to start the episode. Oh really? Yeah. Oh no, what what what's happened? Are you okay? Just, you know, society. I'm just mad at society oh, yeah. in general. This movie made me realize that society is just a bunch of garbage. You know, it's designed to keep cool teenagers like me down in the dumps. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were still a teenager, but you really do have that angst going on. Yeah. So, you know, I thought you were going to say youthful glow, but I guess, uh, yeah, the angst is a <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Wow. That got a big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your youthful glow of angst and depression. Very beautiful. Yeah, some things never change, you know? Um, yeah, hey, what's up, everybody? This week, we're here to talk about uh, Heather's, a movie from 1989 that is just, like, brimming with teen angst the entire time. Um, it's written by Daniel Waters. It's directed by Michael Lehman. It's starring Winona Ryder, Christian Clis Clis Slater, um Kim Walker, Shannon Doherty, and Lisanne Frank. Um yeah. Falk. Falk. Yeah, Falk, not Frank. I can't read. Whatever. That's fine. Um Hi, my name is Jared. I'm 18 and I never learned how to fucking read. Yeah. Oh yeah. I told you I was still a cool teenager. Um Shannon, what are your like overall <laughs> thoughts about Heathers? What did you how did you feel about this one? Uh so First off, like, I am a big Mean Girls fan. Okay. <laughs> I fucking love Mean Girls. And watching Heathers was, like, kind of completing the cycle of, like, oh, now I see where Mean Girls comes from. Mm. Like, Tina Fey must have watched Heathers and then been like, you know what would be a really great idea? Let's make Heathers except without the murder. <laughs> and yeah, kind of. That... That basically sums it up. Oh, yes, we have a content warning for this movie. 
So there is a lot of talk of suicide. So we will be mentioning suicide many a times throughout uh, the episode. Yeah. So watch out for that. Folks. Like incredibly very much. It's like that is kind of the f- that's what the movie's about more or less in a way. So I oh, mean, yeah. like, yeah, you know, if that's an issue, it's, it's something that's going to be talked about. So be aware. Um yeah, I mean, I had told you... Yeah, what did you think? I, I mean, I had told you when I was watching the movie, I sent you a text. Like, I didn't think I was really getting what the movie was trying to get at for a while. Um, it, yeah. I, I There's things to like about it, for sure. And it, I, I thought it had some hits and it had some misses. Um, but overall, I think it's... You, you were saying, like, it reminded you of Mean Girls a lot. And I would agree. And... I think that this movie is sort of a victim of all of the high school movies that came after it. Um, mm-hmm. It probably like gave birth to several different tropes. I, I mean, it came out a few years after um, Breakfast Club, so it was kind of like in a heyday of like a certain brand of high school movie. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it influenced a lot of other movies and gave birth to a lot of different tropes that other movies probably did better. Um, it's like, I, I think about sometimes you see people like, you know, every few months or so, or maybe every year or so, I feel like the debate gets reignited on Twitter about the Beatles, right? Like a band that for a long time, really? Yeah. Okay. So a band that for a long time, right. was sort of just widely considered to be the best band ever. And some people in the contemporary era just don't really like them. It's not really their thing and that's fine. You don't have to, but, uh, I've seen people say recently, you know, people love to rag on the Beatles and go, I don't get what's so special about them. I don't get what, how they're influential. They sound exactly like every other band they influenced, um, <laughs> which I kind of feel is like what's happening with <laughs> Heathers, right? It, other movies do yeah. a lot of the things that Heathers did better. Like Mean Girls, I think, does Heathers better than Heathers does. Uh, yes. And I think Jennifer's Body does murderous Mean Girls better than Heathers does, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. so I mean, like, it's a good movie. And uh, like, I think that that will be probably a pretty controversial thing because this movie's sort of polarizing. Some people love it and see it as like really? a cult classic. And then some people are like, I don't know, it's just not, <laughs> you know, it's a little, it's a little clumsy with, yeah. with maybe tone and things like that sometimes. So it's definitely an interesting movie. And I think we got lots to chat about, but, uh, I, I had mixed, I had mixed opinions about it. Yeah, I I know what you mean. There were there were definitely some points when you're like, "Oh damn, this really is a movie from the 80s." <laughs> yeah, um, very much. And I like I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but I feel like that really came out with like all of the like bullying about being gay and like calling <laughs> people a fag and stuff, and I'm just like that bullying like would not fly today but it does work into the theme so like i i i understand why it's there and like it's to set up this like ironic death but it it just feels a little caught in its era yeah it's a movie that can't seem to quite decide whether it is queer or homophobic which you know there's yes. <laughs> there's a lot of like people like that so that's fine um and I mean, like, True. it's not inherently homophobic to depict homophobia in a movie, but there are times where it's like, I, I really can't tell where the movie stands on the whole gay thing. <laughs> like, Yeah. It's very hard to pick out because, like, we see the kind of, like, classic jocks as, like, 
antagonists and they're like calling people gay and like making a guy like you know forcing him to say i like sucking big dicks you know and like bullying him into that but then we also see like our protagonists making like gay jokes as well it's it's that classic like if someone is being homophobic the most clever thing that at times people can come up with is like well that person's actually probably the gay one (laughs) and it's like yeah (laughs) and it's like maybe the point was that queerness isn't (laughs) something that is worthy of ridicule maybe it's not like let's turn the queer ridiculing back on this person because that's funny so i mean but also like how much nuance do and and like tact do we expect a high school movie from 86 to to have did i even get that right 89 whatever 89 (laughs) yeah um 86 is next week. <laughs> little little hint. Stay Ooh, tuned. Yeah, just a hint. It's 80s week. On, it's, it's 80s month on Skeleton Closet. Anyhow, um, do we want to get Woo! into the summary? We'll, we'll talk about the plot yeah. and then we'll, we'll get a little deeper into the, the themes and the discussion and the deep stuff. All right, let's go for it. Do you want me to go first? Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Welcome to Westerberg High School in Sherwood, Ohio. It's a high school like any other, and our heroine is a brilliant girl by the name of Veronica Sawyer. She belongs to an elite group of popular girls, all by the name of Heather. First, there's the leader and super bitch, Heather Chandler. (laughs) Second, there's the avid reader of Moby Dick, Heather Duke. And third, there's the cheerleader, Heather McNamara. Together, the four girls make up the most powerful clique in their school. One day in the cafeteria, Heather Chandler calls upon Victoria's skill at forging notes to write a love letter from a football player, Kurt Kelly, to an unpopular girl named Martha Dump Truck Dunstock. This makes it sound like she's a wrestler when you say it like that. That's fun. <laughs> While they wait for the fun to play out, Chandler and Veronica engage the students in a lunchtime poll, asking what they would do with an obscene amount of money in the days before aliens blow up the world. Chandler just wants to talk to other popular kids, but Veronica makes her chat with non-populars too. Finally, the Heathers watch in glee as Martha approaches Kurt Kelly about the note and gets laughed at. Veronica totally isn't here for it and gets admonished by Heather Chandler for not enjoying the prank. On the excuse of asking him the lunchtime poll, Veronica approaches a mysterious guy in a trench coat sitting in the corner of the cafeteria. His name is Jason Dean, and he's a bit of a rebel. (laughs) The two chat, grabbing the attention of football players Kurt Kelly and Ram Sweeney. When Veronica leaves, Ram and Kurt approach the table. The two try to intimidate and embarrass Jason Dean by calling him gay. To their surprise, he pulls out a gun and fires blanks at the guys. This scene was crazy. Like, I feel a need to just pause and talk about this scene. Because, okay, like, starting from the beginning, the very first time you see JD, like, oh my god, so painfully 80s. Like, can you imagine, Shannon, you and I (laughs) went to high school together. Can you imagine if someone showed up in a leather, like, ankle-length jacket? to school every day and just like kind of sat there brooding and like being mysterious with like (laughs) a iconic haircut in the corner. Honestly, that like to me, there was this one guy in drama club 
who, like, if I had to pick a Jason Dean for our school, it would be this guy. And, like, I don't want to out him on our podcast, but, like, he, like, he looked like a quintessential, like, brooding, like, Jack Skellington, Mm. like, anime character. And, like, that's the vibes Jason Dean gives me. Not to mention that Jason Dean also rides a motorcycle. Yeah. So, like... Come on, he's got his ear pierced. He rides a motorcycle, <laughs> and like, he's he's a new kid in school. He's mysterious, like wearing that fucking like trench coat duster, whatever it is. Like, what a badass! And he says greetings and salutations. Yeah, <laughs> like, e- everything he says he? is like designed in a way to just make him a little bit quirkier and cooler than you. And I mean, like, this is a oh, character yeah. archetype and like, it's Christian Slater. So he's kind of like, I'd say a heartthrob for the eighties and like, Oh, totally. He's, you know, they play him off as cool and I'm sure he was cool at the time, but now this kid would be more recognizable as like, Oh, that fucking guy. Like, you know, thinks he's better <laughs> than you. Like the, the only reason he's not wearing a fedora in this is because they didn't think of it. Right. They just didn't come up with the idea. Yep. <laughs> they would have. Yep. If you could Honestly, travel back to 1989. Had been in the 90s? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a fedora and like a leather vest. It, I was going to say, if you could travel back to 1989 and just like sort of visit the set of Heathers and be like, hey, director man don't you think he would look cool in a fedora he'd be like oh yeah why didn't i think of that and then he would look even lamer today and then secondly he pulled out a literal gun (laughs) like he is he pulls out a fucking revolver like a giant ass revolver from his bag like a six shooter like magnum the biggest handgun you've ever seen from like 1886 and fires yeah, blanks at them point blank. Which, like, also, it, even if you fire blanks at someone from that close of range, like, you're, you'll probably kill them. Like, I think the shockwave would kill them. I've read that you can't, uh, like, fire yeah, blanks at know. people too close. Like, that's a thing. I'm not a big gun guy, but that's... <laughs> like, when, the, when this happened in the movie the first time, I was shocked like i was like oh so this is the u.s like yeah. if this is what it's like growing up as a teenager in the u.s you have to be scared of people pulling a fucking gun out of their bag like holy shit it's another thing that dates this movie as being like well in the 80s and like well before y2k because like in the era of the school yeah. shooter this is just not a thing that would be in a movie <laughs> you know like and th- and then it's played off that's the thing like everyone's just like oh, wow, I bet you got in trouble for that one. Like, what, did you get an in-school suspension or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> this would get you sent to, like, I think, like, you know, a jail or, like, a like a wellness center. And yeah, you, mental it, health like, facility, Yeah, man. I don't know why I said wellness center. <laughs> what a tool. But <laughs> Anyway. No, I... This scene was crazy. Yeah, they treated yeah, that anyway. as so casual. And then they cut to the next scene, by the way. The gun goes blam, blam. And then they cut away to the next scene without showing you that it was blank. So we're sort of like held in suspended disbelief for a second there where we don't quite know whether he just sort of iced two kids in the middle of the cafeteria. Yeah! <laughs> so... Like, what a rebel. What a badass, dude. I... <laughs> <laughs> 
he he kind of I guess he's kind of giving off cowboy vibes because like <laughs> he's got the six shooter and he's got the jacket. So like he is a cowboy and like he's got his motorcycle. So he's he's a cowboy. Uh, he's straight up a cowboy. I, like you're right. And I, I cannot stress like to the listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, I cannot stress enough how the movie plays this completely straight. Like the movie wants you to think yeah. that he's so cool and so badass and like. Every time he shows up on the screen, there's like a sick guitar riff. <laughs> like they, <laughs> I, again, like this movie is sort of before a certain set of tropes. So it looks so lame and played out now in a lot of ways when they're trying to convince you that this character yeah. is cool. And, oh, it was, it, it, it feels like a weird, like, I don't know, middle-aged man's power fantasy of being a cool high schooler, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like... I don't know. Yeah, that does make sense. That's like, like, I was a loner back in high school. I wish that I was like this. Ooh. Yeah, I had a sick motorcycle. And one of the popular girls, like, like the popular girl who's not like the other popular girls. Oh, yeah. Like, y- yeah, that, the quirky popular girl is into me. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so to move on with the plot, because uh, we got to move on past the fucking cafeteria gun scene at some point but i really had to stress how insane that was on the way to a frat party at remington university chandler and veronica stop at a convenience store for corn nuts while chandler waits in the car veronica (laughs) bumps into jason dean aka jd the two get chatting while he buys her a slushie and we learn that he moves around a lot because his dad owns a demolition company at the party chandler runs off with her date and is coerced into going down on him Meanwhile, Veronica is expected to have sex with her date, but rejects him. When Heather confronts Veronica in the hall, she throws up. Veronica, that is, throws up. Outside, Heather says this will be the social end of Veronica when she tells everyone at school how the party went down. At home, Veronica furiously journals when JD climbs in through her window, unannounced. The two end up making love in the backyard after playing strip croquet. Their pillow talk forms a plan to get revenge on Heather Chandler. The following morning, J.D. and Veronica sneak into Heather Chandler's house with the plan of making her a disgusting hangover drink that will make her vomit. J.D. jokingly pours up a glass of drain cleaner, but Veronica opts for a concoction of milk and orange juice. However, the two are distracted when they pick up the glass and Veronica picks up the drain hole. JD notices, but decides not to tell Veronica, choosing instead to let her poison Heather. They give the drink to Heather, who downs it and quickly collapses to the floor dead. To cover up the murder, Veronica forges Heather a suicide note. This also, this scene was also crazy in its own way. Yeah! Because this chick picks up a glass of drain cleaner without, like thinking about it and just sort of gulps it down like an entire glass this is not like a small amount of drain cleaner that she drinks and she just sort of (laughs) chugs it like a champ and then 
immediately falls over dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, immediately there is there is no pause, there is no hesitation. It's just her choking with a blue tongue. Yeah, and like falls through this, like, glass end table to make it extra dramatic. Again, as I am not an expert in guns, I'm also not an expert in poison and, like, how poison interacts with the human <laughs> body. But I do have to imagine there's some sort of, like, your guts have to churn that up a little bit before you just, like, immediate, like, yeah. heart stops, brain death, like, <laughs> no signs of life whatsoever. You are dead before you hit the floor. I don't think that's how it works when you drink drain cleaner. Um, you know. Again, could be wrong. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I do have to admit, I loved this scene because I loved them, like, JD and Veronica, like, writing this note together and being like, oh, yeah, that's a good line. Like, ooh, we gotta we gotta make her sound deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like they're in the studio, like, just cooking up some new, like, some sick rhymes or something <laughs> like that. They're just like, yo, that's fire. Put that in there. <laughs> yeah, put it in. Put it in. <laughs> Um, so anyway, they've now murdered Heather Chandler and, and framed it as a suicide. Um, but to their chagrin, Heather Chandler becomes even more popular in death. Uh, at her funeral, Heather McNamara approaches Veronica about going on a double date that evening with her, Kurt, and Ram, the two football players. Uh, pressured by the power of friendship, Veronica accepts. Later that evening, when McNamara is hooking up with Ram in a field, just in an open field, next to a tipped over cow. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you do. <laughs> We're country kids. We know how it is. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's happening. Veronica escapes Kurt and happens to run into JD, who's just sort of hanging out in the woods at the edge of the field, watching this go down. Uh, JD saves Veronica from this terrible double date and scoops her up in his motorcycle. That's what happened. <laughs> Yeah, is he driving his motorcycle at that point? Maybe I imagine that. I swear they're also, like, driving a car at some point. I don't know. No, it's probably his motorcycle. But I love how he was like, oh, you were on a double date? No problem. I'm not bothered by this whatsoever. Like, yeah. (laughs) Okay. They they had, like, had sex and then murdered someone together at this point. He's like, oh, dating another guy? All right. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Yeah, no big, no big. We're into polyamory now, too. Okay. Like, murder, polyamory. They go hand in yeah, hand. You see this guy's leather jacket? He doesn't have time for monogamy. He's... <laughs> he's no prude. <laughs> All right. So, the next morning at school, a terrible rumor is going around about Victoria. It's a rumor that she gave Ram and Kurt head at the same time. It is Veronica. But... <laughs> oh, my God. Did I say Victoria? You did, yeah. <laughs> God Damn it, Veronica. Uh, Veronica Sawyer. What a good name. It is. So Ver- Veronica and JD cook up a plan of revenge against the footballers and invite them to a meeting at dawn under the guise of a sexual hookup. Mm. Veronica drafts up a suicide letter for the two boys detailing their relationship as gay lovers. The plan is to shoot them with tranquilizing bullets have the rumors spread around their fake suicide note and ruin the footballers' reputations and make them a laughingstock. Things go awry, however, when it turns out that JD loaded the guns with real bullets instead of fake ones. I'm beginning to see a trend here. I Okay, and this is another one where I have to, I have to stop and talk about this. This lie, this is one of the moments that I was like, what are, where are they going with this movie? Because, okay, so... 
JD, like, to, to flesh out this lie a little bit, he says, like, oh, we're going to shoot them with these special bullets that my grandfather brought back from the war, and they're called Ick Lugan bullets, and th- they yeah. the Nazis used them to knock themselves out and fake their own deaths so that they could escape the, the Soviet invaders of Berlin. And yep. so they're bullets that you sh- you shoot yourself with them and they tranquilize you for like a few hours or something. And then it turns out Ich Lugen means I'm lying in German. And she, oh. yeah. And then so she fell- falls for this. And this is the point where I'm like, are are we supposed to be on Veronica's side or are we supposed to think that she's a dumbass? Because she truly, she's a dumbass for believing this one. I'm sorry. You think that there's yes. bullets that knock you out that this wouldn't be like a dart or if it was a dart, I'd believe it. But a bullet, yeah, a bullet that knocks you out when you yeah, shoot someone I mean... in the chest with it. And then they were going to be knocked out for a while, but then there was going to be suicide notes attached to them, and that was going to ruin their reputations. This didn't make any sense from the jump. I'm sorry. <laughs> Veronica, yeah, but she, I mean, you like, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's she's a dumb teenager. Like, she's supposed to be really smart, but, like, she's totally infatuated with this guy, and, like... If he says it, she's going to believe it. Like, she already knows he has murderous intent. Like, he's the one who fucking poisoned Heather Chandler, right? But, like, I like this scene because, like, now that I'm looking back on it, it's drawing our parallels between, like, he's like, my grandfather got these from WW2. (laughs) Doesn't even say World War II, but he goes WW2 because he's so He doesn't have time to say the whole thing. Um, He's he's got a jacket to think about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he's got a jacket and good hair that he but does. it it draws it draws the parallel to uh the world war and how jason dean sees high school as war right like he doesn't like later on he says that high school is society like it's not just a metaphor for society it is society but no he really sees high school as a war field yeah, he does. I, yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about it later, but this is another thing where I go, this movie is not helped by the decades of movies that came after it because we're talking about, you know, Veronica mm. as dumb teenager who is infatuated, who's kind of willing to believe anything. And I'm like, yeah, we've already watched Jennifer's Body on this podcast, though. Like, yeah, we have seen a movie that did, like, uh, needy from jennifer's body like her sort of infatuation with jennifer and like the way that she Mm -hmm. was willing to do i think that was so much more convincing and so much like more well done than they did in this movie because i agree it left me with this real feeling of doubt as to like what her intentions are what i'm supposed to believe her intentions are you know it i i felt that that wasn't clear throughout heathers unfortunately Yes, we get some quite, we get quite the ambiguity. So after, after all this goes down, uh, Kurt and Ram, they're dead. 
after their funeral, they host a feeling sharing event in the high school cafeteria, uh, spearheaded by a hippie teacher who earlier shared Heather Chandler's suicide note with her class and encouraged them to feel, feel the pathetic energy, I believe, that came off of the suicide note. Um, yeah. Upset by the day's activities, Veronica finally breaks up with JD, who then begins to form a plan. Uh, JD blackmails Heather Duke with photographic evidence that she was once childhood friends with Martha Dump Truck. He asks her to be a leader for the school um, and for a favor. The favor is to get the whole school signatures on a petition to get Big Fun, a group made famous for their song Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It, to play at their prom. Uh, <laughs> Again, the band, Jennifer's Body, I feel like really pulled a lot from this, like directly, right? The whole thing with the band yeah. playing at the, the school's like year end. I don't remember if it was prom or if it was, it was prom, right? Yeah, prom, the whole I think it was prom, prom dress yeah. and everything. Yeah, they were all dressed up for it. They were getting the band to play like these benefit things for the school because there was this rash of teen deaths. Like, um, yeah, a lot of like, it feels like direct uh, inspiration and references going from uh from this movie to jennifer's body yeah i feel like jennifer's body like got a lot of inspiration from heathers and like took these themes and really like ironed out the themes and like made them a lot clearer yeah 100 percent. all right well we'll start talking about this movie at some point and stop talking about jennifer's body So, meanwhile, Martha attempts suicide by walking into traffic with a suicide note taped to her chest. Thankfully, she fails and is rushed safely to hospital. That evening, Heather McNamara calls into a popular radio station and broadcasts her problems on the airwaves. At school, Duke is sure to crucify McNamara for airing her dirty laundry. Then, at school, Veronica stops McNamara from overdosing on pills in the girls' washroom. Mm. When Veronica goes home that day, she's greeted by her parents, who just had a talk with JD. He warned them that Veronica might try to kill herself. He also left her a note mimicking her handwriting. That night, Veronica has a nightmare that JD drags her to Heather Duke's house to kill her. Knowing JD is coming to kill her, Veronica writes a suicide note in her journal and hangs herself in her room. JD climbs in through her bedroom window to find her hanging and reveals that the petition he had everyone sign was a fake. Indeed, it was actually a collective suicide note from the students of Westerberg High. JD plans to blow up the school tomorrow at a pep rally. After JD leaves, Veronica's mother comes upstairs to discover her hanging. However, it turns out Veronica is alive. She faked the hanging in order to fool JD because she knew he was coming. The next day, while everyone is in class, JD sets up explosives in the gymnasium. Veronica confronts JD in the boiler room under the gym as he's setting up the final charges. The two fight as the pep assembly goes on upstairs. Veronica stops the bomb with four seconds to spare and shoots JD in the process. Note, she shoots off his middle finger as he's giving her the finger. And I was just like, good job, Veronica. You couldn't shoot a football player earlier, but you can shoot this guy's <laughs> middle finger off. Good job. She, yeah, she had, she didn't have the confidence before, but now she's like really certain that she wants to shoot this dude rather than the, uh, the football players. Um, Fuck yeah. Now that the school is safe from JD, Veronica goes outside to get some air. 
Soon, JD exits the building too, now with a bomb strapped to his chest. He walks out into the yard of the school as Veronica just stands and watches. The bomb counts down and Veronica does nothing until JD is finally blown up. Going inside, Veronica runs into Heather Duke, takes her scrunchie, and tells her that she's taking over control of the school. Finally, Veronica asks Martha to spend prom with her watching movies, and the two stroll off into the distance together as new friends. Which I'll say was like, ta-da! That's I'll it. say that was a fairly like I liked that ending. That was a that was a decent ending of her yeah. deciding that she's like sort of leaving the popularity game behind, right? And she's like, well, Martha seems to be one of the only fucking good people at this school. So how about we hang out and go eat some popcorn and watch some movies, and the rest of you can all f- fuck off and do whatever you're gonna do together. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and and she has this epic line where like Heather Duke is like you look like hell. And she's like, I just got back. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, uh, they did a lot with that in the musical. We should mention, like, we also listened to the musical. There was, there was a Heather's musical from 2018, uh, or no 2014, but then the album came out in 2018. Um, that was really good. I thought. And, uh, Oh my God, it was amazing. But like dead girl walking being the song based on that. And, Oh, Ugh. incredible. They like that song like legit rocked. Like it was awesome. <laughs> oh fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Like so I like I had listened to the musical far before I ever watched the movie and like I I didn't like watch the musical so I missed out on a lot of like the plot but like the songs mm. are fucking bangers oh my god and then watching the movie gave so much more context oh, course, to yeah. the musical so like if y'all are gonna watch this movie also listen to the musical because like the musical takes like some of the key lines and turns them into full songs mm-hmm. and they are so good and like they do something that i really like which like instead of having veronica befriend martha at the end the musical starts off with Veronica and Martha already being friends Mm -hmm. and like kind of splitting up as friends and eventually coming back together as friends. So it gives us that nice, like full character growth moment. Yeah. And the movie becomes like an arc where she is sort of temporarily friends with the Heathers. The Heathers like kind of bring her on board at the beginning of it. Like after that split with Martha, where they're almost like interviewing her to like join their clique. And then she's like, well, I have useful skills. I can forge notes and things. And then they're like, all right, you're in because you're useful to us. And I feel like that was, that (laughs) made a little bit more sense for the movie. Um, And I I think honestly it did a better job and like maybe it had the benefit of a few decades of hindsight, but I think it did a better job of like setting a tone that was like deliberately, you know, playful and irreverent. Um, I think yeah. the movie Heathers wasted so much time trying to be cool and edgy. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the musical did a better job of leaning into the humor of it. And they also ironed out some things like they, there's a song that they add in there, uh, at Curtin Ram's funeral, um, about, it, it's like a line that his dad said, and I believe he said it in the movie about how I, I love my dead yes, gay yes, son. He does. Yeah. Um, it, the song is called my dead gay son. Uh, Ram's dad and Kurt's dad come to accept their their sons as gay men in their passing, which they never were gay. But 
the way that these two go into this like theatrical like just belting performance of this like it sounds like a meatloaf <laughs> song or something where they're talking about how yeah. they're they're up there with jesus now and uh it, there's all these like really fun double on entre- double entendres and stuff about how their sons are pretty much just having a gay old time up there in heaven and probably banging and stuff and <laughs> it's good i don't know it's it's interesting because both the movie and the musical are very polarizing and some people like i said some people love this movie some people hate the movie same for the musical and some people mm-hmm. who love the movie hate it some people who hate the movie love the musical it's it's really interesting how no one can seem to agree about anything in the heather's extended universe um but I, I think it did a really good job and it, it honestly made me appreciate the story of the movie more. I was telling you before we were recording, like, yeah. I was like, I don't quite know what this movie was getting at. And I thought that the musical really helped bring some of it into focus. So I, I really appreciated it. I, I thought they did a great job with, with the material they were given. And I think yeah. every bad movie should be turned into a good musical. Not saying that Heather's is like, a you know, capital B bad movie, but just... Maybe like a lowercase b. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think like you could turn maybe Killer Unicorn into a good musical. You know, I don't know. <laughs> they would have a song about an acid enema. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be a hell of a number. Oh, the stage designers would have a field day with that. Oh my god, they with would. all the pumps and water guns and stuff they would inevitably have going off all over the stage. Oh, totally. There'd be a song by Madame Mortimer that's <gasps> I need a bump and a cigarette. Oh yeah. Oh. I think that'd be so You bad. know what would give you trouble though is if you were doing a musical rendition of Killer Unicorn, is like all all of the cast would have to be wearing like shoes for crews the entire time because there'd be so much lube on the stage that it would be like a real slipping hazard. <laughs> Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, anyway, more more musicals of, of uh, movies that are bad or at least suspect. Um, I guess if, we're, if yeah. we're talking about themes of the movie, like we talked about it right off the bat, but like teen suicide is kind of like the main thing that's going on in this movie, right? Yes. And like the way the way that they talk about suicide, they're always like, oh, what a tragedy. But they don't really treat it as a tragedy. Like, they really do glorify suicide. So, like, the hippie English teacher, Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I have a copy of Heather's uh, suicide note. And, like, when they're talking about it in the faculty room, they're like, oh, yeah, she committed suicide. And they're like, oh, she used the word myriad, myriad in her suicide note. Like, good job, Heather. And, like... They're talking about, oh, what a beautiful note it is, you know, what a beautiful soul she was. And, like, uh, in class, she's like, I'm going to pass this note around the class so you can all feel its pathetic beauty for That's yourselves. That's it, pathetic beauty, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, they're, they're really, they really romanticize Heather Chandler's death. Because, yeah. like, she's a rock star of the school, like, the mythical bitch of the school. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they romanticize her life so much that, like, how could they not romanticize her death? Well, and it's interesting because I don't believe that any of these people really liked her when she was alive, right? But once she's dead, 
she yeah. sort of like her legacy takes on a life of its own and suddenly she's this tragic figure she's the dead girl who was too beautiful for this world and had to leave it behind and they sort of have a different idea of who she is um and like a lot of it comes through her suicide note which wasn't even written by her um yeah there's also an interesting parallel i think between like the people who die from their alleged suicides which are actually murders um, but Heather Chandler and Ram and uh, Kurt, they're turned into martyrs and they're sort of lionized in their death and they're, you know, romanticized, as you said. Yes. Um, but Martha, who is actually bullied, who like actually has, you know, the world is against her in this way that so many characters in this movie sort of seem to think that it is. She, she's actually just shit on yeah. all day. She attempts suicide. She survives. And she's ridiculed for it. Like, her, the bullying continues on her while they're talking about how, like, wow, Heather Chandler would want us to be a kinder world. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're shitting on yeah. another person who actually attempted suicide. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're very, like, disparaging of Martha. Like, they don't even have the, oh, what a shame. It's jumping directly to the, oh, look, another nerd trying to copy the popular kids yeah. and failing. yeah. It's, uh, I think, like, I, I do think it is, like, a, a pretty good, you know, for all for all the faults that I do feel the movie has, I feel like the message they were sending on this one thing came through pretty clearly, that, like, it's just sort of a hypocritical yes. societal thing, right? It's, it's an issue that was a problem with teen culture back then, and I don't think it's gotten any better since, that uh, we've got all the sympathy in the world for someone who dies tragically, but we're not really willing to do anything materially to improve circumstances so that other people don't go through something yeah. similar. Um, so, I mean, the movie yeah. did a good job of, of that, I think of, of saying what it had to say on this one particular um, issue. Yeah. And it's, it's very like, it's very blunt in the, the big fun band where like their song, like is playing on the radio and stuff. And it's literally teenage suicide don't don't do it, do it. yeah <laughs> and like yeah i i don't think you can get any more blunt with the message than that but like at some point like veronica's parents are watching tv and it's like a newscaster talking about these tragic deaths and suicides at the school and veronica's like can't you see these little programs are eating suicide up with the spoon mm -hmm. they're making it sound like it's a cool thing to do yeah and that's exactly what happens because it's cool people committing suicide and being glamorized for committing suicide for these like seemingly altruistic um actions like heather duke or heather chandler being like too beautiful for this world that like she felt so isolated because you know no one would see her as an actual person but instead saw her as this untouchable object and then ram and kurt who are glorified for like being against the status quo and like you know no longer being able to live in this unkind unforgiving unaccepting world and preserving their love through death like it very much gives me it like it gives me Romeo and Juliet vibes mm. of like they they kind of like quote unquote die for the greater good like mm -hmm. 
Kurt and Ram like foster acceptance for homosexuality in their community mm -hmm. through their death, like incidentally. When they were homophobes, like <laughs> explicitly. When they were serious homophobes, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, like that, that was kind of enjoyable. Like, I, I do love, like, I think Glee did it better where they had like, you know, the bully who's bullying uh the kid named kurt in school because he is gay and then it turns out that this bully is gay for that kid that he was bullying like i think glee did a better job of like having that redemption uh. arc but i i thought it was beautifully ironic that like the homophobic jocks end up being the ones to like champion gay relationships in this like town in ohio <laughs> yeah kurt and ram in life would have beat up their own dads for singing the i love my dead gay son song <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and i there's there is a comment uh that veronica makes where she like at the funeral where she's like oh they wouldn't be so accepting of their alive gay sons. yeah very true but because they're dead they're able to be more accepting yeah and i think like it's uh it's interesting because i i think like when we were talking about you know romanticizing these dead kids and stuff um i do wish that they spent a little bit more time or that the movie was a little bit more interested in martha's perspective because we don't really ever yeah. hear from her i i don't think she has more than like maybe two once. does she not talk in the movie she has like maybe two or three lines i can't think of a single thing she says off the top of my head though yeah i can't think of anything she says until the very end of right. the movie yeah 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 um but i do wish the movie the movie was more interested in her perspective because again she is the one or yeah no heather mcnamara also attempts suicide um yes but the two of them are the ones who actually do and for all the for all the talking about teen suicide that this movie does it spends very little time on the two people who actually do attempt and and their motivations yeah. and things because i think like if you if you think about martha's standpoint in this narrative like oh these these kids who i know are big piles of garbage are being sort of romanticized in death and maybe the only way for me to get acceptance the, the acceptance that i've been craving and looking for and failing to get is to follow suit and do the same thing and um yeah you know like i said i think this movie does a great job of being compassionate and talking about this sort of like uh the the problems with romanticizing this but i do wish it was a little bit more interested in in those characters perspectives yeah i think i think this is where the musical really comes through mm -hmm. because i think the writers of the musical had the same thoughts as you where they're like okay not enough attention is being actually paid to the people who are like attempting suicide in this which is mcnamara and martha and in the musical each of them get their own song like specifying why they're committing suicide and that's true she got the kindergarten boyfriend I, song I, yeah, and did you figure out that her kindergarten boyfriend was Ram? No, I did not. <laughs> I'm pre I'm pretty sure her kindergarten boyfriend is Ram, and that like that makes it a little more heartbreaking yeah. that like 
you know, she got this fake note from him at the very beginning, like, inviting her to a party, mm. you know, and she's kind of like, oh, he remembered me, oh, like, he he likes me so many years later, yeah. like, maybe he's trying to, like, foster something here. That does make it sadder that there's a real-life history there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I really mm. like that they so added good. that into the musical. And also, it managed to be funny at the same time that it was heartbreaking. Like, they, there's the yeah. whole bit about, like, how, again, yeah, he's her kindergarten boyfriend. They have, like, a relationship over nap time. And there's a, there's a part where he rips <laughs> off a scab at kindergarten and then, at, or uh, at recess, and then she puts it in a locket and carries it around with her for months. <laughs> like, the... <laughs> to have a part of so him or gross. something is so gross <laughs> and so funny. Yeah. Um, I, I Part of this conversation kind of reminds me of what we talked about uh, with Nope when it comes to like the spectacle of tragedy Oh. Um, and the way that yes. people take tragedies and kind of turn them into something to gawk at and something to talk about and something to, something to, you know, chat about around the water cooler type of thing where it's, a very much more deeper lived experience. And they truly know nothing about it because again, the people that they're mourning and being so, so performatively mournful over didn't even commit suicide. They truly know nothing about the situation, but they're ascribing their own sort of values and priorities onto the dead people, the dead children. Yeah. (laughs) Let's be real. Um, Yeah. Uh, Martha is also an interesting character to me because she's, I mean, the next thing we wanted to talk about is the cult of popularity, right? And she, at the end, is sort of represents yes. the vehicle out of it. Like, accepting your otherness or your weirdness. Veronica sort of starts off as a bit of an outcast. She's an oddball, I think it's fair to say. She's not, like... Yeah. She's not really bullied, but she's, uh, she's not one of the popular kids, and she finds her way into, um... This, this cult of popularity and, and Martha sort of represents her escape from it. But yeah, that's, that's like, I'd say the other main theme of the movie, this, this popularity um, uh, motivation. Yes. Like we see like coolness as we know is very important in high school mm. and it really determines this pecking order. And we definitely see that hierarchy at Wisterberg high school where, like, the popular kids, of course, are on top of everything. Like, they really have all of the privilege. Um, you know, they can talk to anyone in the cafeteria. Oh, wow, excuse me. <laughs> they can talk to anyone in the cafeteria and get a response because everyone wants to talk to them. Everyone wants to either be friends with them or be fucking them. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a point when Veronica is describing her friendship to JD, and she calls her friends colleagues, yeah. and their business is being popular. And that really seals in that, like, Veronica doesn't really like these girls. Veronica doesn't really like being popular, but, like, she's popular out of necessity to keep from being picked on, to keep from being ridiculed, and to... And that status is more important than being happy. Because, like, she had a friend and, like, skipped out on this girl's birthday party to, like, hang out with her popular friends. And, like, could have engaged in this friendship where she would have been genuinely happy. Like, she does hang out with her later in the movie and, like, they play croquet. They're having a good time. Like, no big deal. But, like... 
Veronica just got essentially selected for the popular girls because she was, like, physically attractive and, like, had the potential to be made more attractive. I, I thought it was interesting how after Heather Chandler died of gulping on some Drano and falling over dead immediately, um, Heather Duke kind of like filled her power vacuum after she died, yeah. right? Like she's she sort of becomes the queen bitch of the school who starts bossing everyone around. And um, I do think like high school high school settings for stories, I sometimes feel are sort of played out. Like it, it kind of feels like- yeah. And, I'm not saying that about this movie. I'm saying that about now, right? We've had so many decades of high school movies. Like Breakfast Club came out over, what, 40 years ago at this point? So, I mean, like, we're, we're well into this, <laughs> the history of high school movies. And, but I do think they're so useful for talking about, like, cliques and how social power is reproduced and, and transferred and stuff, right? Like, yes. Uh, when Heather dies and Heather takes her place, she's like a, like a, um, you know, like a Hydra or something. <laughs> you, you chop, yep. you chop off the yep. head of one Heather and another Heather will take its place. Um, she kind of like, I, I think it's interesting how she immediately takes the reins of, I maintain my power through taking it away from other people. Like I, I put others down yes. and that is how I sort of, put other people in my in their place and maintain my status as sort of head of the table at this school and, and he, head of the social order. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I always think when th- with things like that, it's interesting to think about our own high school experience because I remember specifically being in high school and describing the situation, the social situation to someone. It's like, yeah, there's sort of a group of kids who are like, I guess what you would call the typical like popular bunch, but I think we all agree no one likes them. <laughs> like weirdly, uh, yeah. they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. There's a group of kids who like, they've got probably the most parties and they've got cars and stuff yeah. and that's fine. But like, no one really enjoys hanging out with them except for like, like, you know what I mean? It was weird. Cause I feel, I feel like the popular group was like, their own little like insulated group that everyone yeah. else was just kind of having a normal time. <laughs> yeah. We didn't need to have the like stereotypical high school experience, but like it very much feels like the popular kids did get that like Hollywood TV, like high school kid experience of like, um, you know, like, playing sports, driving cars, mm. going to parties, like drinking, hooking up, like all of all of those stereotypical things that like the quote unquote like normal high school kid honestly doesn't really experience. <laughs> like there's like if you're not part of that popular group, you kind of miss out on these like what are seen as quintessential high school experiences and it's like no, they're like, like, th- that's the stuff they make movies yeah. about. Like, yes, the movies are all about the popular kids in high school, but like, that is such a minority compared to like the broader school at large. Yeah, I do remember like being in high school and just coming to an understanding that it wasn't like the movies because I was like, I, um, I can't drive. And when I did learn to drive, I was like, I don't have my own car. I don't always have access to a car. And I don't really have access to alcohol or very much money. So yeah. I was like, where are they getting these notions that high schoolers are just like, 
driving around <laughs> and drinking and going on vacation. And I, I swear, I say all the time, there are so many movies and TV shows that are set in high school that should be set in college. Because I'm like, yeah. I, it always takes me out of it when high schoolers have so much freedom. Um, right. Like Riverdale, I think, is the worst offender for it. Like, everyone is like... Yep, yep. I, I I stopped watching Riverdale after I think season two or three or something. But like, there's like several mm-hmm. in their like little friend group. There's like several small business owners and like uh, the leader of yeah. a gang. And I was like, how do you, how do people find the time between like trying to pass your AP courses and like <laughs> doing all the other shit you do? It's crazy. Like okay, so honestly, looking back, like. Not gonna lie, I had a very typical high school experience, like, compared to, like, movies and stuff, like, right when I turned 16, I got my driver's license, like, I had a car, like, I went to parties with my friends, like, I was friends with some of the popular kids, like, it it was a very, like, drinking, like, doing sports, like, being part of student council, like, I had a very very like typical high school experience and like i i honestly like watching this movie really really connected with veronica because like i felt like i was like a borderline popular kid but like one of the weird ones like the oddball the oddball of the bunch like i i like i definitely know i was like i'm not like other girls you know (laughs) yeah like you know but, like, definitely got all of those, like, popular kid experiences and, like, was, like, a name around the school. Mm. Like, I, I, I was loud and obnoxious, so, like, a lot of people knew Were me. you not our, like, student body president or whatever? Like, the co-president? I, I was, like, the second in command, oh. so, like, I helped... I helped... Uh, I, I ran, like, the campaign for the person who did okay. win. Okay. And, like, I hosted a lot of, like, the school assemblies because, like, again, loud and obnoxious. So, like, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hosted assemblies. I did announcements. Like, I was one of the voices of the school. No big deal. Wow. No big deal. Just to, like, toot my own high school horn. <laughs> I was I was definitely but, more like, of a JD. Like, uh, my, me and my friend group were, <laughs> like, more of those kids who were just, like, Ah, oh, we're we're cooler and funnier than the popular kids. We think, according to no one but us, but we think we're we're better than them, <laughs> and like we're we're misunderstood. Yeah. they don't get us. <laughs> like you're edgy. yeah, exactly. Ooh. Yeah, we were like yeah, we were we were that bunch. Like okay, and I want to talk about the character of JD as well because he is so like the person that JD is is such a character archetype now. You know, like I actually, I was watching it and again, for all the things we said about how the movie didn't understand how lame JD was, like they, they went to such lengths to present him as cool and every attempt to present him as cool only dug his grave deeper for me, um, for, for being not cool. Um, and maybe that's because he reflects something of what I was in high school, like being this misanthropic, like edgy, like edgelord, whatever. Um, but it's interesting because he's now (laughs) such a, that is now such an archetype of character, right? He's the Joker. He is Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. He is Tyler Durden from Fight Club. He is Jughead from Riverdale. Like these, these edgy dudes Mm -hmm. who live on the fringe of society and they're so entitled and they're so chauvinistic and they're so narcissist and they believe that 
society is you know fucked up because they feel that they're aggrieved right they're they feel like they're they deserve something that they're not getting and so they think that that is a that means that society is sick and that they have the right to set it straight through terrorism and violence and setting bombs like the joker and tyler durden literally do the exact same thing um yes like it it really like it goes back to like what we were talking about with better watch out mm. which is the entitlement like he is so entitled like like jd thinks that he is the be all end all you know he thinks he's superior to everyone because he understands high school and society he understands all these things he's so mature he's so above them he's so beyond them like He's entitled to, like, be better than them, no more than them. Yep. Like, he's he's got this entitlement of, you know, he deserves the world on a silver platter yeah. to play with. And to be fair, when I'm saying that me and my friends were like that in high school, I'm just saying we were pretentious. That's all it was. But, like, <laughs> you know, we weren't, like... <laughs> you mean you didn't try to blow up the no, school? No, we weren't, like, incel terrorists, but, <laughs> like, yeah. well, you know... Um, we, we, we were like those types of kids who just, yeah, thought we were above the bullshit and, um, yeah, pretentious, pretentious. And I, I found it interesting. So I was reading some, I I wanted to see how this movie was perceived at the time that it came out. Right. Because as Mm. I said, this movie evidently came out long before the time of the school shooter, like Columbine was years down the road. Right. Like it, it, it. I don't think this movie gets made in a world where Columbine already happened. Um, Or at least not without some serious edits. Um, Yes. uh, But Roger Ebert uh, wrote at the time, uh, questioning how the mixed sensibility as a dark murder comedy and a cynical morality play led to difficulty in understanding the movie's point of view. Um, And he said that, Mm-hmm. Adulthood could be defined as the process of learning to be shocked by things that do not shock teenagers, but that is not a notion that has occurred to Lehman, the writer. Um, yeah. I found that really interesting. Like it, it kind of, uh, in a way, I felt that it was. It, I, I kind of think it works both ways. Honestly, I think that the the script and the characters mm-hmm. and things were sort of really struggling with grappling with just sort of how the world is like I, I maybe there's a part of a teenager that is just learning like oh you know the world isn't like it is in movies shit <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah i i found it interesting that i mean yeah i just i just think that uh roger ebert had a good point about like i think the messages of the movie were somewhat muddled because taking aim at high school hierarchies is obviously fine and always good. But the way that they seem to think that this was a statement mm-hmm. about society at large made it, made it seem like a bit of a tantrum on the part of certainly JD, yes. but maybe even the script as a whole. Yeah, because like high school is a reflection of society, but this high school itself is definitely not, like a reflection of society at large like it is it is a small small microcosm of society it is not representative of the whole a hundred percent honestly it's not very realistic like 
just just like the one point that like really lost me was when the English teacher or like the hippie teacher was like, I have Heather's suicide note. I'm going to pass it around class. And I was like, girl, no, bitch, no. Like maybe you could get a copy of her suicide note, but like the actual suicide, that's evidence. That is <laughs> yeah. evidence. Excuse me. That is me. in police lockup. Like unless the teacher like was in the room after she died and before the police got there, like this is not happening. <laughs> I, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I, I will say I, I think one of my favorite things to come out of Heather's and like one of the most realistic things in it is actually Heather Duke and like Heather Duke's evolution as a character Mm -hmm. because she is the Regina George character, right? Like she constantly prays for like the downfall of Heather Chandler. You know, she is the second in command. She's the first to be shit on. Mm -hmm. You know, in in the beginning of the movie, um, Heather Duke's color is green mm-hmm. and she's reading Moby Dick. So, like, she's kind of seen as, like, maybe a bit more intelligent than Heather Chandler, maybe a bit more learned um, and educated. You know, she's reading Moby Dick, so clearly, like, she's got a bit of culture to her. But as soon as Heather Chandler dies... Heather Duke gives up reading and she gives up the color green in favor of the color red. Mm -hmm. And as she's stepping into Heather Chandler's shoes, you know, she's becoming more and more like Heather Chandler. Like she noticeably gets less needy and more demanding and meaner. So she really, not only does she take the social position of Heather Chandler, but she begins taking on the attributes of Heather Chandler and tries to become her, right? Like, even, so, like, literally right after Heather Chandler has died, like, maybe the next few days, Heather Duke is already wearing a full red outfit. Like, she is literally stepping in to take Heather Chandler's place, not only as leader, but as Heather Chandler. Yeah. Like, Heather Duke would have changed her last name to Chandler if she could, I'm sure. Oh, probably, yeah. Like, she wants to fully be this girl and, like, disregards all of her previous hobbies in favor of these new hobbies that she's gifted through her friend's death. I find it so interesting because both of the remaining Heathers have a crisis of identity after uh, Heather Chandler dies, and one of them, they're uh, Heather Duke's response is to become Heather Chandler and just simply step into her shoes and take on, assume the the role of queen bitch and take on all the power that, that comes with it. And uh, Heather McNamara's is a much more, uh, a much more crisis-y crisis. Like she uh, yes. can't deal with the loss of popularity or like, I don't know if it's a loss of popularity or if it's just the crumbling of the social structure that she sort of knew before. Um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting, right? Cause we were talking about like how power is transferred into social structure, like a high school and some people depend on these hierarchies. And I think that that's, I think it says something mm. about privilege to a degree. Right. And I'm not talking about necessarily like in broader dynamics of, of things like race or gender or anything like that. But some people become very comfortable with a hierarchy. And if they have a place that is adjacent to the top, but not quite there, they're just happy to not sort of poke the bear. And 
you know what? Yeah. I'm happy with it. You know what? Maybe it does apply to things like to broader constructs, honestly, because that's kind of the basis of like white feminism, right? It's we don't want to create a more just society. Yes. I just want to be close to the top in an unjust society. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, like a lot. Wow. I, I think this movie says a lot more than maybe we gr- gave it credit for off the bat. Yeah, and, like, this this does, like, this, like, transfer of power gets me thinking about Mean Girls again, mm. because we see a transfer of power after Regina George has fallen, but instead of seeing that transfer to the second-in-command, like we do here with Heather Chandler and Heather Duke, we saw it go to, like, the oddball new girl, which was Katie. So, like, instead of replacing Regina George with Gretchen Wieners, they replace her with Katie Heron. Yeah. Which would have been a very different twist where, like, Heathers gets to that eventually, where Veronica takes the mantle at the very end when she, like, takes Heather Chandler's scrunchie from Heather Duke and is like, there's a new sheriff in town, you know, and, like, declares herself as the sheriff of the school. Not necessarily the leader of the school, Mm -hmm. but the sheriff, you know, the one who's going to keep order. Yeah, and it's interesting because I kind of feel like in that way she's almost taking cues from JD, right? Like she's Yeah. She does I, I think she does end the movie with a sense of like um with a sense of entitlement. Like she's the one who's going to set the school straight and she knows yeah. what's best for everyone and I'm going to, you know, as much as she's opting out of the social hierarchy, she's also taking it over. Um which yeah. is another one of those ways that I kind of feel like you know, she didn't she didn't break the mold at the end. She kind of says, I'm taking control of the mold, but I'm not going to do anything about it, which. Yeah, she just starts like a new cycle. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, one more thing I wanted to talk Mary. about before we move on to our next movie, if if we're ready for that. Um, there there yeah. was a TV show uh, from 2018, uh, a Heather's TV show. Um, did you end up watching it at all? I know you said you were kind of interested in it. You were poking around it. See, I thought it was a movie right. and I was like, oh yeah, I'm all ready to watch this and like queued it up. And I was like, wait, 40 minutes. What do you mean? It's only 40 minutes. Isn't this a full movie? And then I was like, oh, it's 10 episodes. I don't have the time to watch this. I- so I probably will watch it because I rather liked Heather's and I want to see, I want to see what they did with it in 2018. So it's interesting because I I was doing some research on the series and just like what sort of became of it. Because again, I had never heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I learned that it... So it came out in 2018 and it was devised as a 10-episode television show, like limited series based on the movie. Um, but the premiere in the States was delayed significantly because of two high school shootings. Um yeah it was supposed to come out in march of 2018 but there was a shooting at stoneman douglas high school so they delayed it till july um but then it was supposed so it was supposed to come out in july but then on june 1st paramount networks uh parent company viacom uh dropped the show entirely because there was uh another shooting in santa fe high school like two weeks prior so Mm -hmm. they basically this is one of those things where like the, the magnitude of the problem with school shootings in the States really becomes clear when you look at things like this because they couldn't find a good time to release this movie yeah. that involves, like, terrorism at a local high school because terrorism kept actually happening at high schools. Um, 
Yeah. So it got released in Europe and then they eventually released it in the States, like I think half a year after it was originally going to, but they cut a lot of content out of it and it ended up being nine episodes instead of 10. Uh, They combined the final two episodes into one and then they were going to make a second season, which was going to be like a sequel to whatever happens in the original story. Um, But they just dropped it entirely. They couldn't really find a way to do it. Which is also shocking because um, 13 Reasons Why got made. <laughs> like, <laughs> a right? show that is specifically meant to, like, exploit the trauma of teenagers of the last 5-10 years. Um, directly reproducing some of the worst things that have happened to high schools in North America over the last 10 years. But, hey, <laughs> what are you going to do, I guess? <laughs> wow. But like I I this is so interesting because of like your comments earlier of like Heathers is a movie that would not have been made, you know, post Columbine. And like it's interesting that like Heathers, like this TV show, was interfered with because there were real acts of terrorism in these high schools. Yeah, which I mean like it's it's interesting because I say it wouldn't be made, but also I feel like the media landscape is heading into such a weird um, like, especially on a lot of the streaming networks, right? Like I, I brought up 13 reasons why it's this weird, like exploitative, like almost pornographic rendition of like high school suffering, right? Like they, I don't know if you saw like how yeah. the show went, but over the course of several seasons, it, it starts off no. with a teen suicide and someone leaving behind these tapes to, um, her, her former friends and sort of leaving them to put together the pieces in the wake of her death. And the show was really controversial. And I think they realized that it was popular because it was controversial. So in the subsequent seasons, Mm -hmm. they sort of chased controversy and there's like, it it essentially becomes a highlight reel of the worst things that have happened in the last 10 years at high schools. They do like, um, they do like, like hazing rituals. They, they literally rip off like the exact thing that happened at St. Michael's high school in Toronto, where there was a hazing incident, um, in a, a boy's mm. bathroom that they, they take some details that it's directly like that is the incident that happened in Toronto and they put it to film. Uh, they have like a, they have like a riot and a police shooting and stuff like pretty much in 2020, I believe that came out. So I don't know. I say it wouldn't have been made today, but I think it maybe would have been made, but in a much more exploitative way. So all that is to say, as much as I had my issues with this movie could have been a lot worse. (laughs) Like there, it could have been a lot worse. I guess. Okay. I, I have one more question for you. All right. Shoot. What, what did you think of JD's suicide at the end? I was just waiting for this fucker to get out of here. I don't know. <laughs> I just I wanted him yeah. gone. That was that was my only thoughts. I don't know. I uh I didn't much care for this character and I was happy to see him blown to smithereens. Um All right. <laughs> Why, what were your thoughts? <laughs> I I I'm kind of torn because I do love, you know, um, how, you know, his dad works for a demolition company. True. His mom committed suicide by going into one of the buildings that was being blown up like two minutes before it blows up. And like, that's how she dies. So it has this kind of poetic resonance that like he's following it in his mother's and his father's mm. footsteps in like one fell swoop. 
but it like I'm frustrated because he totally escapes responsibility for his actions. Mm. He suffers no consequences for murdering three people and starting like a wave of like quote unquote coolness around suicide. Like he suffers no consequences for his actions and the only like he 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 has no he has nothing inflicted upon him that is externally inflicted. All of his pain and suffering is like internally inflicted. Like he's the one who kills himself. It's not that Veronica kills him or anything. No, no, no. He chooses to kill himself at the end of the movie. And like he just he never suffers consequences. Like he still maintains that nobleness and entitlement right to the end of like he's being noble by blowing himself up and he's like just imagine that i've blown up the school and then i've blown up every school mm-hmm. you know and it, like it suggests like this cycle will continue and that like another jd will just kind of step into his shoes to replace him like which I, essentially veronica does like she steps into the jd position of like okay, now I'm the cowboy, I'm the sheriff, like, I'm the one who's gonna keep order here, like, I know better than everyone else, like, I've murdered my classmates, I've I've seen shit that none of them will see, like, I'm, I'm the most powerful one in the school. Yeah. And... Sorry, go for it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it's, go for I it, think it's go fitting, because it. JD spends his entire life victimizing himself, right? Like, he's, again, like, he's one of these grievance yeah. politics, Joker, Tyler Durden douchebags who truly is materially very privileged and there's nothing wrong with his life whatsoever. Um, But he's determined to see himself as not getting what he deserves because he thinks he deserves it all. He thinks he deserves to be, um, I don't know, as successful as his dad, maybe. I'm not quite sure what his motivations would be there. So, I mean... The way he decides to take himself out in a blaze of glory is like, yeah, he do- he escapes his punishment for sure. But at the same time, that's sort of where his life was leading the entire time. Um, he yeah. he was going to he was going to burn out eventually if he if he kept living that way. Um, I also think it's interesting because you mentioned that he you know he never sees punishment for his actions. Um, neither does Veronica. Like I do think Veronica yeah should bear some responsibility for what happened and like okay he lied about the drano thing and he lied about the iklugan bullets i'm sorry i still think she's super dumb for believing that stuff from the jump so i do think she bears some responsibility in there but she did have you know she never wanted to blow up the school but she did have malicious intent toward her classmates and i do think that her negligence was murderous at least if that makes sense. Um, I think she went along with him for altogether way too long to simply get off scot-free at the end. And I I do think she bears responsibility for, for all of those deaths in a way, even though she does save Heather McNamara's life. Yes. Yes. Like I'm sure that's like the movie trying to redeem her and like where she's redeemed of like, Oh, I couldn't like prevent the attempted suicide of Martha but I can prevent the attempted suicide of McNamara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, a pretty good movie. 
Okay, my last question before we introduce our next one is who, like, I, I feel like we've asked this question before about various movies, but it's always a fun one. Who who would you play if we were casting a new 2023 Heathers? Who's your character? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, oh, wait, is it the movie or is it the musical? Let's go musical. Well, either or, Ooh, whichever. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like... Like, like I feel terrible, but I I love the evil characters. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like, I loved Heather Chandler. Oh, yeah. Like I absolutely loved her. Like she had my favorite line in the entire movie, and I am considering getting this as a tattoo. Ooh. I love it so much. F- fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Yeah. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. What a it's a good very line. good line. Oh my god! Actually, okay. I, first of all, I'll say I'll say my answer. If we're talking the musical, yes, I would want to be Ram, just because. Okay, like they really dialed up Ram and Kurt's dumbness to a million percent yes. in the musical, and they're they're so like over the top. Like they seem like SNL characters, like cartoonishly dumb jocks. Yep. Yep. Um, but Ram gets this song called blue, which is about having blue balls. And <laughs> it's him trying to yes. guilt. Uh, I don't know who exactly when you're listening to a musical, it's hard to tell. Okay, yeah. Sometimes when you're listening to a musical, it's hard to tell who is singing and who is, is being sung at, at times. Yes. He's trying to get Veronica to have sex with him and she won't. And he's trying to guilt her by saying he has blue balls. And the song is so <laughs> funny. The way he describes, like he gets to, he sings the word balls about a hundred times and <laughs> talks about them, like dropping on her face and stuff like that. And it's so obscene. They cut it out of the high school version. You'll be surprised to hear. Um, this was a thing. A lot of high schools, once the musical came out, a lot of high schools wanted to do productions of Heathers. And obviously high school administrations had issues with that uh, because of all of the (laughs) teen suicide and murder and uh, sex that's in it. So they made something called Heathers, the high school edition, uh, where they cut out a lot of stuff. So Blue didn't make it into the high school version, unfortunately. Um, But that song is so good. (laughs) I know. (laughs) <laughs> or one of their dads. Look, the Dead the, Gay Son song you know, was, my... was iconic. Yeah, like I I've I've thought about this movie and like, ooh, the other one, I kind of would love to be JD for the musical because I love I love his song when he finds Veronica dead. When he's like trying to convince her to go along oh, with yeah. him, like he's just so unhinged and like crazy, and I feel like that would just be so much fun to sing. I really like in the beginning song. There's like all of the teenagers are singing like this fun poppy, like we're in high school, la 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 song, and he's just kind of creeping up in the background every once in a while to be like, "I want to cut off your skin and wear it like a mask," and then just kind of going off to nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I want to leave a Heather tied up naked in an abandoned warehouse for the rest. Yeah, stuff like Ooh. that. He's just sort of like wants to interject that and then leave. Um, the yeah. other thing I was going to say, okay, like, and I we keep like teasing the end of this podcast, and I think it's been like twenty minutes since <laughs> I since I first brought it up. Um, the the language in this movie, and another thing that heavily reminded me of Jennifer's body 
is the way that there's all this high school yes. slang that I don't, I'm not convinced is real. And actually, uh, I'll say, I'll verify, it's not real. The, they made up a lot of high school slang for this movie, um, specifically because they didn't want it to be dated, right? They didn't want to, because yes. I feel like, you know, you're making a movie, it's 1989, the 70s are right in the rear view. Like if you had made a movie 10 years ago and you dropped the word groovy a bunch of times, right? Like it would already be outdated. So yeah. they didn't want to do that. So they made up a bunch of high school slang for it. So there's stuff where like uh, the Heathers will be like, oh, you should come to this Friday, this, uh, this party on Friday night. It's going to be very. Yes, I love. And I was Barry. like, OK, they're trying to make very a thing <laughs> like I get very mean girls also. Right. Like <laughs> the yes. way they uh, they invent slang for it. It was. Yeah. The way the Heathers talk, the fuck me gen gently with a chainsaw line is terrific. Um, but overall, like I feel that very is a good description for this movie. It is very there is a it lot is. going on. It is very it is. Yeah. Uh, it is queer. It is homophobic. It is uh, glorifying high school suicide. It is condemning a society that glorifies high school suicide uh, and chauvinism <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and just overall, it is incredibly very. It is incredibly very. <laughs> that is the perfect descriptor. It's, yeah, just maximum 100% overdrive all the time. Um yeah all right shannon oh and sorry go for it this wait wait i have, I have one more <laughs> thing <laughs> one more thing so i i remember when i was younger so my mom's name is heather ah. and i remember when i was younger she was like oh heathers get a bad rep as being bad guys and i never understood what she meant by that until i came across the movie heathers mm -hmm. and like I love it because, like, my mom and my, like, best friend when I was younger, like, both of them are named Heather. Oh, yeah, so, shout like, out Heather. They would always be like, yeah, shout out to Heather. <laughs> what, what? Hi, Heather. <laughs> but, like, whenever they greeted each other, they would be like, hi, Heather. Hi, Heather. And, oh. like, I just love that in this movie where, like, Heather McNamara, she's like, Heather, it's your turn. And Heather is like, no, Heather, it's not my turn. It's Heather's <laughs> turn. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> All the Sorry, Heathers. Heather. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Heather. <laughs> okay, now we can go on to what? It, what is our movie for next time, Jake? I mean, look, Heather's got us in the mood for the 80s. The Heather's musical got us in the mood for a musical. So... I, you know, in a fortnight from now, we got to sit down and talk about another movie. So we figured, why not make it Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, directed by Frank Oz, who our audience will know as Yoda from Star Wars, uh, as well as like uh, Miss yeah. Piggy and Fozzie Bear and Grover and Cookie Monster. Uh, the voice actor for all of those iconic characters, also a director who directed Little Shop of Horrors, starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green and Steve Martin, uh, among others about a man-eating plant um yeah i saw this movie in a or sorry not this movie i saw this musical in like a community theater production in i'm gonna say probably like 2006 7 8 somewhere in there uh in mm -hmm. elmira where we went to high school like i i so i have never seen the movie but i have seen a small town like community theater production of the broadway musical um, and I loved it. Iconic. Yeah, I loved it as a kid. I like still remember some of the songs pretty well. So like, I'm very excited for the movie. Aww. I think it's going to be very.
I think it's going to be very. I've I've never seen the musical. I've never like seen it performed either, but I have I've listened to the soundtrack mm. and I remember at musical theater camp I sang one of the songs <gasps> from it, like one of the songs from the very oh, beginning. Yeah. So like I will be belting that song out while watching the movie. I am very very hyped for it and it's going to be so very i had no idea like rick moranis and steve martin were in this movie also so i mean like i feel like the cast is going to be having a great time this is just like 80s snl and i'm it's gonna be good i'm so excited because like this like this is camp yes like this is a totally camp musical like it's gonna be so much fun it's gonna be funny it's gonna be campy it's gonna be ridiculous like it plays on such a ridiculous concept and like takes that concept and just runs mm-hmm. with it yeah so i mean look forward to that i'm i'm looking forward to watching it and talking about it um and i suppose with that Hell we, yeah. we've arrived at the end of our show yes we have so Thank you for listening, and I hope you all have a lovely And week. follow us on Instagram, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. I post three three times every two weeks. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You're, hey, as our social media marketing department, we've got a pretty good di- division of labor here. You do the social media marketing. I do the, the editing. You do the editing, yeah. Uh, you, you do you do great work, and I uh, we're we're all so appreciative of it. Oh, thank you. I think you do good work too. You're doing the Lord's work, oh, Jake. Stop. So if you want to appreciate uh, Shannon's <laughs> brilliance on the Instagrams, uh, <laughs> go go check out our page. Uh, we're at Skeleton Closet Pod on Instagram. You can find us there. And uh, until next time, t- keep it keep it very keep it salty (laughs) keep it salty and keep it very keep it very salty (laughs) yeah and we'll talk to you next time cheers everybody bye